Or we're in Exodus 35, and we're going to try to finish the book. And it's got 40 chapters, so look out. As we close out the book of Exodus, we saw last week how Moses, how his face would glow, and he would glow after being in the presence of God, speaking with God, and there was a downside to his face glowing when he came out from the presence of God, his face would begin to dim, to fade. And that's sort of like a flashlight that has a weak battery. (laughs) You know, it's not a good thing to see your light going out. And And Moses is faced with this going before the people with his face fading. But he had a remedy. He would simply wear a veil. (laughs) Wearing this veil prevented uh, the people from seeing his face dim. And so Moses' face was a visible sign that he had been with God. Now, I'm glad we don't have those visible signs (laughs) that tell when we've been with God or when we haven't been with God. But uh, the disciples, Peter and John, in Acts chapter 4, they completely debunked the doctrine of the chief priests and the elders who were Sadducees. The Sadducees uh, did not believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in miracles. Uh, They kind of had a dull religion, really. Yet, Peter and John present to the chief priests this lame man that God has healed in the name of Jesus, and he's standing there with Peter and John, completely whole, before the chief priest and the elders, and he was healed, according to Peter and John, by the resurrected Jesus. And the chief priests and elders, they cannot deny this miracle because the man stands there before them. And all they can do is attribute this miracle to the fact that Peter and John have been with Jesus. As Christians, we get to bear the name of Christ. We get to call ourselves Christians, Christ-like. And our lives are to be a demonstration that we have been with Jesus. I'm glad we don't have to wear veils. We come in here on Sunday morning with happy faces, (laughs) you know, and everybody looks like they're on top of the world. But uh, it's not always the case, is it? Now, let me summarize chapter 35. Moses has given his command, uh, has been given the commands of the Lord, and now Moses will relate them to the people. 
in a key verse in chapter 35 is verse 5. Take from among you an offering to the Lord, whoever is of willing heart. Let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze. The key word there is a willing heart. All offerings given to God are to be done from a willing heart. No compulsion. Uh, so many of us become jaded from going to church in having different methods of giving to separate us from our money perpetrated upon us. I have been in services where they've took up two and three offerings in one service. And I go, yeah. <laughs> one of the reasons we do not pass the plate here is when you pass an offering plate, some people will feel compelled to give that really do not want to give. And we don't want that. As a church, as a fellowship, we want all giving to be done willfully and cheerfully. And if you can't do it that way, don't give. That's easy enough. And we refuse to beg or plead for money for any of our needs. Just like I made the announcement about Aubrey a car. We're going to get Aubrey a car, and we're going to get it from what we can afford. And it's that simple. And we're not going to beg and plead. Whatever comes in, we will make do, and we will try to get her a car. But we could put up a big thermometer up here. You know, you've seen them. <laughs> Giving is here. It needs to be here, but it's only here. What have you given to the Lord lately? You know, those kind of things. The best one I ever heard, though, <laughs> was a guy... taking up an offering and a prayer, and then he says, Now, I want you to give like you've always wanted to give. So take the person's wallet that is next to you and give like you've always wanted to. And that is kind of comical. But really, God doesn't need our money. It's our blessing to give. It's our benefit to give. Um, have you ever been in a church where they posted on the little plaques the attendance and the offering of last week? What's that all about? <laughs> uh, th but there are many clever ways to inspire people to give. And I hope we never resort to that. Just make the need known and let it go. So make sure if you give to this fellowship that you're giving from a willful, cheerful heart. Or like I said, don't give. It's that simple. Chap that's chapter 35. Pretty quick. We're going to get 36 here, and we'll go quicker through 36. Chapter 36 speaks of gifted artisans and the building materials that they receive to construct a sanctuary under God. And this is a sanctuary that is movable. It's portable because they are out in the wilderness and they're moving. God gave skills and ability to artisans and they gave their time to construct the sanctuary 
that God laid out the plans for. God does not only want our offerings, he uses skilled believers for good works. That's chapter 36. Chapter 37. The same method is used to construct the Ark of the Testimony. That was 37. 38. Boy, we're cranking on. We'll get through the whole Bible here in a minute. God gives instruction for an altar. And it's to have a bronze laver. Chapter 39. The clothes, the materials of the priestly garments are woven. And God gives instruction how they're to be woven. And then the breastplate that the chief priest wears, the precious stones that are to be in the breastplate. And they're all donated by the people. Chapter 40. Moses receives instructions on how God is to be honored and worshipped through offerings of sacrifice. Now, I just covered five chapters in five minutes. That's a TV first for me. Come next week, I might cover the entire book of Leviticus. (laughs) But as we move through these chapters and we move through the sacrifices and that kind of thing, and we move quickly because we are no longer under the law. And I don't find it very fruitful to teach on the law when we're not under the law. We're under the new covenant of grace. So being under the new covenant of grace, we will talk about grace and the covenant of Jesus that he established at the cross. Jesus became our sacrifice. So we will try to keep our studies focused on Jesus. The Bible is simply a story being told about Jesus. That's what the Bible is about. So this morning, we will take a look at some of the sacrificial offerings, and in particular, the sin offering. The sin offering was made, and it used several different kind of animals for sacrifice. A young bull, for instance, was used for the high priest to atone for his sins on the Day of Atonement. Uh, A male goat was a sacrifice for a a leader in Israel. A female goat was for an ordinary, everyday person. And a ewe lamb was another common sacrifice for sin offerings. Now, if you were really poor, or I say just poor, not really poor, if you were poor, you could use a turtle dove. Mary and Joseph offered a turtle dove. Uh, when they presented Jesus at the temple. And if you were extremely poor, you could offer a flower, just a meal offering to the Lord. But these sin offerings were done on a regular basis. And you were to find a lamb. Most, Most people were to find a lamb that was without spot or blemish, And sometimes this lamb would be from your own flock. And if you didn't have a large flock, this lamb might have even been a family pet. And to transfer your guilt onto the lamb, you were to place your hands on the head of the lamb as the priest slit the lamb's throat. 
they would catch the blood of this lamb in a basin and sprinkle it on the altar. But it was difficult to make light of sin as you felt the life drain out of this lamb that was being killed because of your sin. The lamb would grow weak, it would stagger, and then it would collapse. And you knew the penalty of sin. You knew that this lamb had just died because you were sinful. And this was a vivid reminder to the people. And it was a reminder of how God took sin so very seriously. In the economy of God, sin must be atoned for. God declared, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. This is the way God laid it out. There was a historian around the time of Jesus, and he recorded that on one of the Passover there in Jerusalem, near the time of Christ, 250,000 lambs were slaughtered during a Passover feast. That's a lot of lambs being slaughtered. And as the population of Israel grew and multiplied, so did the number of lambs that were being killed for sacrifice. And by the time of Christ, Israel has been sacrificing animals for 1,500 years. The Jewish religion had become or had been known to be a bloody religion, sacrificing all of these lambs on a regular basis. Now, God tells us that he takes no pleasure in sacrifice. It doesn't, like, make him feel good. There's no pleasure in the killing of animals. But sin had to be atoned for or covered. And this is the only way it could happen was the shedding of blood. But God the Father, having pity upon man and the constant feeling that man had of guilt of sin, you would kill a lamb, then you would go out and sin, and then you had to wait till you killed another lamb for the covering of sin. And it was a vicious cycle. But God had pity on man. And not to mention having pity on all the animals that were killed. Therefore, when the time was right, God implemented his plan of salvation for mankind. God will have his own son sacrifice for the sins of man. A once and for all remedy for our salvation. For us, for mankind to have a relationship with a holy and righteous God, our sins must be covered or atoned for. They were covered by animals. They are atoned for by Christ. 
So if you will, turn to me with me to Romans chapter 5, and we'll look at uh, verses 6 through 11. Romans 5. Paul spells it out and talks about it much better than I could. Romans 5, chap, uh, chapter 5, verse 6, rather. But when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Man being in our sinful state, that constant cycle of sinning and then having to sacrifice over and over again, God looks upon this and he says the time is right for Jesus to be the sacrifice for everyone. So through his mercy, through his grace, God sends his only son to be our sacrifice. When you study scripture, it reveals how sinful man, through the fall of Adam, is contrary. He is set against a perfect and holy and righteous God. We're contrary to God because he's completely holy. And we often find ourselves lamenting like the Apostle Paul. Paul, when he said, I can totally identify with this, the things I would do, I do not do. The things I don't want to do, I do. <laughs> and that's the vicious cycle of daily life as we go through forgiveness and righteousness as they intertwine in our life. But it says, in due time. And all that means is when the time was right, God looked upon man and he says, now is the time that I'm going to change the history of man and I'm going to send my son. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly, the you and I's. The Apostle Paul again declared late in his life, he said, hey, I am chief among sinners. And I always want to say, hey, Paul, you didn't know me. <laughs> but I am chief among sinners. And Paul says this, not when he was persecuting Christians, but this was when he was an apostle late in his life. He declares that he is chief among sinners. And that is because he began to see the complete holiness of God compared to himself. Verse 7 tells us, yet for a righteous man, one would dare to die. As a parent, as a loving person, we can perhaps imagine who we would 
count worthy to die for. And that's sort of conceivable in our mind. But it says, while we were yet sinners, opposed to God, and opposed to God in thought, word, and deed, Christ died for us. That's the greatest demonstration ever of love. While opposed to God, while just being our sinful selves, instead of God giving us what we deserve, justice, what we deserve, his wrath, he gave us his son. A once and for all sacrifice for our sins. By believing in the work of Christ on the cross as our sin offering, we then are justified by the blood of Christ. And being justified is simply a way of saying we are being saved. Now, the world has a problem with that term. They will say things like to us, what do you mean being saved? What are you saved from? Well, it tells us in verse 9 what we're saved from. We are saved from God's wrath. God's wrath is when his anger has found expression, i.e. punishment. Wrath and anger are different. Anger doesn't necessarily denote wrath. Wrath is when God says, I've had enough and now I must do something about it. The Great Tribulation is a seven-year period, yet future, where God's wrath is poured out against this sinful world. As believers, the good news is we're not appointed to God's wrath. Or simply put, we are saved from God's wrath. And verse 10 puts, puts it in perspective. For when we were enemies of God, he reconciled us to himself through the death of Jesus, his son. And then he says, how much more shall we be saved and benefit by the life of Jesus? That is kind of thought-provoking. Because we look back and we grasp and we point towards the death of Christ giving us salvation. But we serve a resurrected Lord. He's alive. Jesus lives, he tells us, to make intercession for us. Saved by his death, reconciled to God the Father, and reconciled, all that means is simply being as if I never sinned. God doesn't remember our sins. Our sins can scar us. We can carry a, a guilt, even though we know we're forgiven, we can carry guilt over past sins. And in our own mind, uh, sins can kind of stagnate us, cause us not to move on with God because of the guilt that we feel towards sins. But 
Know this, God has no memory of a forgiven sin. He chooses not to remember our sins. Those that we have confessed to him and have been forgiven of. But back to being alive for us. Jesus said to his disciples, and he said to all believers, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And we don't get much more, uh, or I should say many more clues as to what it will be like to be with Christ. But to physically be with Christ goes beyond our imaginations. We will be so thoroughly satisfied and complete when we're with him that nothing else will matter. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you can be there also. We were designed, we were made to bring God pleasure. We were designed to worship God and heaven will be That, it will be a place of worship. If you don't enjoy worshiping God, you probably won't enjoy heaven. But we're to worship him, our creator. He makes us complete. And if you're sitting here as we approach the Christmas season, and you want to know how to join the family of Christ, You want to know how to become a believer. It's simple. (laughs) All you got to do is put your trust and hope in the sacrificial death of Christ for us. He suffered the cross where we can have life. Now, we'll have people back here in the prayer room that would love to pray with you about receiving Christ. They would love to pray with you about any issue you have in your life. Perhaps you need healing. They will pray with you. Maybe you need God to provide for you. They will pray for that. But we are to be a people who pray for one another. We are to lift up each other's burdens. So avail yourself to these men and women that will be in the prayer room. Amen. Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, I'm I'm humbled by the fact that we gained so much. We gained eternal life through the death of Jesus. But you say you live for us. And Lord, that only causes us to Imagine different things. Lord, you're going to be so completely satisfying to us that we we can't even phantom it, Lord. So, Lord, begin to give us glimpses of what it's like to serve a living God. We appreciate our salvation, Lord, that's for sure. We are so grateful. We will praise you eternally because of our salvation. But you tell us that you live for us. How much more will we gain because you are alive? Begin to enlighten us, Lord. 
show us the blessings that you have for us. And we thank you again. Here we are at this Christmas season, Lord. Thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for taking on the frailties of man that you could completely and totally identify with us. And then you went to the cross. The perfect sacrifice for our sins. Thank you for that, Lord. You give us an opportunity to have a relationship with God the Father. And we thank you for that. Be with us, Lord. Help us take advantage of your great work on the cross. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.